This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Good evening and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... If the reintegration is not properly carried out, then there will be a problem. And that is where there's a possibility that they might go back into the kind of activities they were engaged in previously. That was Darlington Abdullahi, a retired Nigerian Air Commodore, on the opportunities and challenges of reintegrating former Boko Haram fighters into society. Details coming up also. Guinea's legislative body announced yesterday there would be a three-year transition period before civilian rule is restored in the country. These stories and more ahead on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. A Nigerian military commander has said at least 51,000 Boko Haram terrorists and their families have surrendered in the country's northeast in just the first three months of this year. Major General Chris Musa said Tuesday the mass surrender of insurgents is a sign that Nigerian security forces are winning the 13-year conflict against Boko Haram. But as Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja, Nigeria, some analysts remain skeptical. The commander of Operation Head in Kai, Major General Chris Musa, made the announcement Tuesday to reporters in Abuja. He said among those who surrendered were 11,000 males, including those who were either enslaved, conscripted, or born to the insurgents. Musa said they surrendered due to successful military operations. He spoke to a Lagos-based television show on Monday. We want to assure uh, the public that we're doing the best we can and we're working together because this operation is for Nigeria. It is a Nigerian war. The army commander said the death of Boko Haram sect leader Abubakar Shakao also played a role. Shakao was declared killed in May of last year during fighting with Splinter Group, the Islamic State West Africa province, ISWAP. According to the country's 2016 Safe Corridor Plan, which provides recruits with a voluntary exit from Boko Haram, many of the defectors could stand a chance at normal civilian living. But analysts say the program, if not properly managed, could lead to a risky future. Darlington Abdullahi is a retired air commodore. If the reintegration is not properly carried out, then there will be a problem. And that is where there's a possibility that they might go back into the kind of activities they were engaged in previously. The Safe Corridor Program is part of a national strategy to reduce militant activity in the country's northeast, but critics argue it is offering amnesty to terrorists. Chris Musa said surrendered terrorists are being held in a camp in Maiduguri and will be closely monitored before being allowed back into their communities. But Abdullahi says it won't be easy to change their ideologies. For them to fit into the larger society, they must change their mindset. They must begin to behave like normal people in the society. They must begin to feel that uh, they belong to the society. Last week, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres visited the camp in Borno State during his two-day visit to Nigeria and praised the reintegration program. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. 
U.S. President Joe Biden will appeal for a renewed international commitment to attacking COVID-19 as the second global pandemic summit opens today. In a statement, Biden said it's critical to remain vigilant against this pandemic and to do everything to save as many lives as possible. However, the Associated Press reports that the president's call to Congress to provide more funding for testing, vaccines and treatments so far has not been successful. Eight months after he used the first such summit to announce an ambitious pledge to donate 1.2 billion vaccine doses to the world, the sense of urgency in the U.S. and other nations to respond has waned. Momentum on vaccinations and treatments has faded even as more infectious variants rise and billions of people across the globe remain unprotected. The White House said Biden will address the opening of the virtual summit today with pre-recorded remarks and will make the case that addressing COVID-19 must remain an international priority. The U.S. is co-hosting the summit along with Germany, Indonesia, Senegal and Belize. Guinea's legislative body announced yesterday there would be a three-year transition period before civilian rule is restored. The country's National Transition Council's legislative body approved the timetable presented by the National Rallying Committee for Development, set up by military junta leader Colonel Mamidou Dumbayo, the French news agency AFP reports. Last September, Colonel Dumbayo led army officers in ousting elected President Alpha Conde in the impoverished former French colony. Conde, 84, has drawn fierce opposition after he pushed through a new constitution in 2020 that allowed him to run for a third presidential term. Following the coup, the West African bloc ECOWAS suspended Guinea from its ranks, imposed sanctions, and called for a return to civilian rule within six months. Although many Guineans initially welcomed the coup, there is growing discontent against the junta in the nation of 13 million people. Mali and Burkina Faso are two other countries in the region which have seen the military take power. ECOWAS also has suspended them. UN Chief Antonio Guterres this month called for the military juntas to hand power back to civilians as soon as possible. You're listening to African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyus Wuhib in Washington. The U.S. Congress has withheld a portion of U.S. aid to Egypt over human rights concerns. Egypt recently sent a delegation from its National Council for Human Rights, NCHR, to convince lawmakers that the council has placed the issue of releasing political prisoners at the top of its agenda. The NCHR pursued advocacy through local activities and international trips, calling for preserving Egyptians' dignity and maintaining the trust of their partners and the International Community Trust. Mohammed Anwar el-Sadat was a member of the NCHR delegation. He discussed the issue with VOA senior analyst Mohammed el-Shanawi. Well, honestly, Ali, the visits uh, we had with her in uh, Washington, 
uh, in the Congress and also in the State Department and other, uh, let's say, uh, think tanks, same as what we did uh, also recently in Europe, uh, it all went very well. They all, in a way, understand what Egypt have been through. They all care about Egypt and they would like to see Egypt's success story. But of course, they are, let's say, telling us that we should give more attention to this basic rights for the people, that they should be free uh, to express their views, uh, their opinion, freedom of uh, exp- uh, I mean, uh, yeah, and freedom rights, especially for journalists and so on, same as uh, those who would like to practice their rights um, and also those who uh, are, let's say, representing the civil society, human rights defender, that they should be somehow left alone uh, as long as they respect rule of law, then they should be uh, free to do as long as they do, as long as, as I said, they don't violate the constitution or the law. So I think all these messages we have been carrying out with us when we were back and we have talked to our different institutions uh, and tell them what we have heard and that uh, they all care about Egypt, they all value Egypt's position uh, when it comes to the stability of the region, security of the region, but they would like to see uh, progress when it comes to um, uh, basic rights uh, for Egyptians. But Congress suspended a portion of USAID to Egypt over human rights violations. Do you think that this new approach by the government would solve this problem once and for all? Well, I mean, of course, as you know, the Congress have uh, the rights to uh, do what they believed is, uh, you know, serving the American interest. It's a message. I think it has been uh, received by our government. And I believe that still we do have this strategic relationship, uh, a lot of things uh, happening between both governments uh, when it comes to different kind of political and economic and, and, uh, and cultural relations. But of course, the Congress uh, is sending a message, which, uh, as I said, uh, it, it was well received. I believe the government... Egyptian government is trying to comply with the international uh, obligation commitment which Egypt have to prove that we are keen to uh, meet with the international standards when it comes to human rights and also civil rights. That was Mohammed Anwar el-Sadat, a member of Egypt's National Council for Human Rights, speaking with VOA's Mohammed al-Shinawi. For years, South Africa has been praised for its comprehensive HIV-AIDS treatment program. As the country with the world's highest number of HIV infections, it designed and implemented the largest HIV treatment program. But those living with HIV and AIDS say COVID-19 disrupted several areas in their treatments. Experts agree and argue that a lot of positive opportunities of doing better were not taken advantage of. Tuso Kumalo reports from Johannesburg. The discovery of South Africa's first COVID-19 case on the 5th of May 2020 saw almost everything come to a halt as attention focused on the pandemic. 
wards and funds in hospitals and clinics were dedicated to the fight against the coronavirus, leaving the war on other pandemics on pause. South Africa's highly recognized treatment and prevention program for HIV and AIDS was not spared. Sibongle Chabalala, national chairperson of the Treatment Action Campaign, an organization advocating for access to treatment for all HIV-positive people, says COVID had a serious effect. She said loss of jobs forced many people to relocate to rural areas far from where they collect their medication. She told VOA that many people fell behind on their treatment when resources and efforts were diverted to COVID-19. Channeling of funds to COVID-19, the financial situation of patients due to COVID-19, lack of visitations and domination of hospital by COVID-19 and the fear of COVID-19 have drastically affected the problem of HIV in South Africa. As the clinics filled with COVID-19 patients, those living with HIV and AIDS were scared to go to their health centers fearing catching COVID. Johannesburg-based Stanley Jovo is a Zimbabwean HIV and AIDS activist leading the Asakanini Health and Wellness an organization of both HIV-negative and positive people. He says they faced the greatest challenge during lockdown periods. Njovu told VOA that some employees, especially domestic workers, were barred from leaving their employers' residences and could not collect their medication. COVID-19 is a HIV and cancer. Rene Sparks is a health expert with a specialty in HIV and AIDS issues. She says some programs were derailed by the tight focus on COVID. Definitely our testing took a dip. Clients were restricted in terms of access to clinics. You needed to have either an appointment. ARV services, I think, continued on. I think it was just a matter of really long waiting times. I really hope we would have learned and and think through how we actually strengthen the service and not wait for the next crisis. However... She says a lot of opportunities provided by lockdown were not utilized. She argues that it could have been easier to reach and test people while they were locked down in their homes, as well as extending HIV testing to those who visited hospitals for COVID-19-related issues. According to 2019 statistics, South Africa had just over 7.7 million people living with HIV, with two-thirds on antiretroviral therapy. Tusokumalo for VOA News, Johannesburg. Canadian mining giant First Quantum Minerals recently announced it will invest $1.35 billion in Zambia's mining industry. Cathy Short reports from Lusaka. The announcement came just ahead of the ongoing mining Indaba conference in Cape Town, South Africa, where Hichilema is aiming to draw new investment. 
the mining in Dawa is the largest mining investment event in the world. Africa's second biggest copper producer, Zambia, aims to increase production to 3 million tons of copper a year within the next decade. Last year, it produced about a third of that amount. Trevor Simumba, Zambian international trade economist, is thrilled with the news of the deal by First Quantum Minerals, or FQM. Simumba says the Zambian government should ensure that the public and small and medium enterprises, or SMEs, benefit fully from the investment by putting in place policies that favor local businesses and communities. The announcement by First Quantum of this investment is, I think, very good news for Zambia. It's going to boost investor confidence. It will actually create opportunities for support services around this investment because there will be need for more transport infrastructure. There will be need for more energy services, supply of energy to the mine. However, in order for Zambia to fully take advantage of this opportunity, in particular to to use this opportunity to leverage and ensure that Zambian businesses can be part of this industry. It's very important that the government looks at specific policies that will enable uh, Zambian SMEs, in particular youth and women, to be part of this investment. Speaking earlier at the ongoing mining conference in Cape Town, South Africa, Zambian President Hagainde Hichilema said there should be no excuse for African leaders to fail to enhance development on the continent as they were elected to save the continent's people. This calls for deliberate efforts on the part, on part of us, the African leaders, and our partners to ensure sustainable development and management of these, our resources. We in Zambia have taken a decision, and a very strong one, that we are tired of talking about Africa's potential. We don't want to hear someone in our country, hopefully on the continent, sing the song of potential. We want to realize that potential. We want to realize that potential to drive development, to alleviate poverty. Since President Hakainde Hichilema's election last August, Zambia has implemented business-friendly reforms, including allowing mining companies to deduct mineral royalties from their income tax assessments. Zambia's mining sector is a major economic driver, contributing significantly to government revenues, mainly through mining royalties and value-added tax. I'm Kathy Short for VOA News in Lusaka. Authorities in Zimbabwe say more than one-third of females in the country are married before the age of 18. Rights advocates are praising a new law that criminalizes child marriage in Zimbabwe. Columbus Mavunga reports from Mbira, Zimbabwe. 19-year-old Pusha Nobula is from the Mbira area near Zimbabwe's border with Zambia and Mozambique, about 300 kilometers north of Harare. She says she was raped at 15 on her way home from school and became pregnant and then was forced to marry her attacker. She says that her marriage 
was never her will. She was forced by her parents. She was brilliant in school but messed up by men. To those growing up, she recommends using protection. But she says by avoiding sexual activity altogether, you can avoid child marriage. Her case is not unusual, say children's advocates. Chipo Jongoro, a volunteer with the charity organization Voluntary Service Overseas, works in the Mbire district. Jongoro says that the major cause of child marriages here is children walking long distances to school, some 12 or 13 kilometers each way. So a child ends up leaving school and since there's nothing like training in woodwork or sewing, she ends up being married. Advocates and non-profit groups are working with the government to reduce child marriage in Mbira district in Marshall Central Province, where more than half the girls get married before they turn 18. Machaira Mabande is a youth development coordinator with the Zimbabwe's Minister of Youths in Mbiren. He says eight minors in the district's Nyagwikwi village have been married off so far this year. He says the minister holds awareness campaigns and gatherings to reduce the problem of child marriages. These campaigns involve parents and girls and teach them about girls' sexual and reproductive rights. Traditional leaders are accused of promoting the practice or turning a blind eye to it. Chief Chutsungu, a traditional leader here, says he's imposing fines on parents who marry off their children. He says that you take a child to the hospital when the child falls sick is the child's right. So they meet regularly with parents and non-governmental groups are also doing awareness campaigns. Legal experts say a new law criminalizing child marriage should help combat the problem. Lorraine Mumba, a legal officer with women and law in Southern Africa, Zimbabwe, hopes a new marriage law will change the fortunes of Zimbabwean girls. There were gaps and loopholes that existed in terms of when exactly a, a person could contract into a marriage legally. However, there is need for the Criminal Law and Codification Reform Act to introduce a clear law that stipulates uh, child marriages as an offence and also introduces sentencing guidelines for perpetrators of child marriages. Poshi Anubula is hoping other girls will not have to endure what she has. Those convicted under the new child marriage law face up to 10 years in prison, though advocates for children's rights are pushing for a harsher sentence. Columbus Mavungam, for VOA News, Mbire, Zimbabwe. And that wraps up this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Joe Gill, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.
VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music, from bubble music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, Afrobeat to Dumbolo and Makosa to Kwaito. The African beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 0905 and 20 